Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Uh, Well, stop dreaming and start chomping with the Karate Glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the Karate Glove. And I have just one and a half words for you. Hi-ya! The Karate Glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood. Concrete. Brick walls. Trees. Small cars. It can even chop through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a Karate Glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high time! Now, these opinions of Nature Talk are not necessarily views of Talk Shoes, Generated Productions, Totalhead.com, and Sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Talking the live public affairs program that deals with issues concerning you from the studios of Savannah, Georgia.
to get into the conversation, call 1724-444-2444. Call ID number 555-19-POUND. That's 1724-444-2444. Call ID number 555-19-POUND.
The views and opinions of Nature Talk are not necessarily views of TalkShoe, Jam Radio Productions, SodaHead.com, and its sponsors. This is your Sunday evening forum, <laughs> Nation Talk. Sunday evening of Nation Talk here on Talk Show and Jam Radio. Tonight we're going to talk about, we're going to do our Democrat National Convention wrap up, talk about the Olympics Rio. Now, if you saw that, it's a typo. It's supposed to be 2016, not 2016. As you know, the Olympics are coming up soon, plus more stuff, and your phone call. Okay, I want to start out tonight talking about Rio, the the, um, Olympics in Rio, uh, which is coming up in August, as you all know. Um... Our American athletes are going there to compete against other nations for the gold, for the bronze, and for the silver medals and and the different competitions um, during the Summer Olympics. Uh, As you know, it Summer Olympics is they have the summer summer Olympics every four years. Every four years. Now I believe this is the first time I believe this is the first time Rio will be sponsoring the Olympic Games this year. I I believe this is their first time. I'm I'm not certain. Um but 
but this is going to be certainly interesting, interesting Olympics this year. Um, we're going to have some new faces who who's going to be there for the first time, and you may see some old faces from the last Summer Olympics. Um, Last summer, um, four years ago. So we're hoping there has been one sort thing that happened about the Olympics, and that's they have banned Russia from the Olympics because of use of of steroids so they 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 told the Olympic the Russian Olympic team no will not (laughs) compete Uh, you're not going to to compete this year. And just pardon, I'm I'm gonna be talking because I'm having a little I'm having time with this computer right now and I'm trying to get this up. Well Russia has been eliminated from from all competitions, from what I understand. Now, the other countries will be competing, including our Olympic team, including the U.S. US Olympic team, in different categories. As soon as I can get the computer up, I can tell you, I can tell you the competitions. I mean, I can tell you the... Not the competition, but what the events is going to be. Computer comes up. Um, 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 This is one of the exciting, most exciting sports events in the world. Ah, okay. Oh, come on. This is one of the most exciting um, sports in in the world, especially when you have so many countries who are going to be competing against each other for Olympics, especially um, especially now NBC is going to be NBC will be the network that will be um, that will be carrying the Olympic events coming up 
Now, you can check your you can check your local NBC station for time and all that on on the Olympics. The games is going to be exciting, and I I normally watch I normally catch up I normally watch the Olympics. Um, and just to learn about the Summer Olympics, especially with track and field, they're going to. Yeah, this is this is gonna be so exciting. And I cannot wait to see um I can't wait to see this. See the these these athletes come together play against each other. And NBC will be carrying these events. Different events, um, especially with the different events that's going to be, um, different sports that's going to be um, competing in. Now, one athlete I was hoping, I don't know if she's still going to, I don't know if she's going to compete or not. That's Gabrielle Douglas. I'm hoping that she is competing this year. I'm I'm hoping she is. I'm a Gabby Douglas fan. My wife and I, that's uh, uh, Debbie, Gab. I'm sorry, Gabby Douglas fans. We are. Big fans of hers. Watched her last Olympics, and I was blown away. The Olympics begin August the third, and will end the twenty-first of twenty-first of August. Um, they're going to have archery, badminton, basketball, beach. Volleyball, boxing, that's going to be good. Canoe, kayak, cycling, diving, equinot, equestrian, fencing, field hockey, golf, gymnastics, handball, judo, modern pentathlon, rhythm gymnastics, rowing, Rugby, sailing, shooting, soccer, swimming, synchronized swimming. That's that is an interesting sport. That is that is a very interesting sport. Uh table tennis, uh taekwondo, tennis. We probably see we probably see the um Wim sisters. Things to be seen. 
uh, track and field, of course, trampoline, triathlon, volleyball, water polo, weightlifting, and wrestling. That's that's the schedule. That's the events that's going to be going on um, from the 3rd to 21st. Of course, of course, the beginning, the first day of the Olympics is, of course, sitting of the different countries. So we're going to be seeing, we're going to be seeing the different countries from athletes from different from all different nations um, from um, different nations. Again, NBC is going to be NBC will be in the different correspondents there, different reporters there is going to be in Rio to cover these events. Again, I am so, so glad. I'm so happy. Witness another. Witness another um, Olympics. This time in Rio. Now, there are two sides to Rio de Janeiro. I was telling Vanessa this, and this is something I want to share with you. I found this clip, and I want you to hear this. Um, it's about the 26th Olympics and what Rio doesn't want the world to see. Check this out. You always wonder, you know, who, who does make you who you are? I always knew I was adopted. I. When you leave the international airport of Rio de Janeiro and... National Airport of Rio de Janeiro and
as I said, we've been having, <laughs> we're having those technical difficulties. But the computers said earlier before. Computers are great, but this sometimes it can be a pain. But okay, let's try this again. When you leave the international airport of Rio de Janeiro and head towards the south of the city, which is Don't keep trying, folks. <laughs> We're going to keep trying till we get it. I'm not giving up. Oh boy. Okay. Well, well, let me. Okay, let me tell you about it then. I'm trying. I was trying to get. Rio has. There two. Like I said, there's two sides to Rio. There's the Rio that the tourists come, and there's the Rio where the poor lives. Now. They spend a lot of money. They spend a lot of money building up. A loser established CPG brands. 90% of the 100 largest CPG brands in the U.S. lost share in the past year, and two-thirds registered sales declines. The reason? Traditional advertising no longer works. Who's winning? Smaller brands with strong, agile product innovation. When you leave the international airport of Rio de Janeiro and head towards the south of the city, which is where all the beaches are, you pass a sprawling informal settlement called Mare. It's one of hundreds of neglected shanty towns like this in Rio. It goes on for miles. But when you pass by there today, all you see is this wall.
Look at this map of Rio. Here's the part that you probably know. It's the south zone. It's where all the iconic beaches are. Mare is in Rio's north zone, which is where most of the city's poor live. A barreira acústica, a ideia, segundo eles, era para poder barrar o som. Porém, é nítido que essa barreira, o único intuito dela é para quê? Para que as pessoas que saem do aeroporto do Galeão e vão sentido a zona sul não consigam ver a realidade da cidade. They don't have sewage system, they don't have a housing rights, they don't have anything. But, you know, the city is really concerned about how loud the cars are. It's because they're worried about, you know, the, the ears of the poor people that don't have food in their stomachs. The city just installed a big new school in this community a few months ago. You'll note that when we get to this part of the highway, the wall becomes totally transparent, giving us a perfect view of the shiny school. Every time international attention comes to Rio, the city scrambles to build up infrastructure around tourism for visitors to see that it's this amazing city. The problem is the visitors will come and they go, but the people of Rio are here to stay. And they're frustrated. They're frustrated that their government will spend so much money to build up certain parts of the city and completely neglect others. The Olympics is no different in this case. In fact, it's probably the biggest excuse Rio has to pour tons of money into making the city look good. This is Patricia. She rides the buses here in Rio and has noticed a major change in the bus routes recently. It used to be a line who left Hamish, which is in the north zone, to Cosme Valley, where the, we have the Christ. And this line was extinguished. Patricia is showing me a few examples of the 11 bus lines that were cut between the poor north zone and the touristy-rich south zone, all in preparation for the Olympics. It's now much harder for a resident of the north zone to get down to the beaches of Ipanema or Copacabana. So why cut the bus line? If all of these black people, poor people, barefoot people are there, it's like, no, we have to clean this. And they always wanted to clean, but now they have a purpose, they have a, a, a deadline to do this. If discriminatory bus lines are bad, here's where it gets worse. So back to this map. Out here in the west is a place called Baja. R's are pronounced like H in Portuguese. This is a new part of the city where a lot of the Olympics action is happening. It's where the Olympics Park is going to be built. And because of this, it's home to what one real estate publication is calling a cosmopolitan awakening. Tons of real estate investment. And of course, a bunch of dramatic promotional videos to go with it. There's this one guy named Carlos Carvalho. He's a real estate developer, and he owns 64 million square feet in Baja. Last year, in a series of interviews with big publications, Carvalho sketched out his dream for Baja. His goal is to turn this place into a new Rio, a city for the elite, of good taste, noble housing, not housing for the poor. This guy's the 12th richest person in Brazil, and he's got a ton of political influence to make his dream happen. Here he is with Rio's mayor, whose re-election campaign he generously donated to. They're just, you know, looking over plans for how they're going to reshape Baja. But there's one big problem for people like Carlos Carvalho and his dream to make Baja a haven for the rich. If your interest is in land value, the less poor people you have in your land, the greater value you can give it to it. They, they think of the city as a place for you to invest in, not a place for you to live in. Over the years, little settlements of a few hundred families have popped up in Baja. 
It's usually workers unable to find affordable housing and creating communities of their own. These places have been around for decades, and many of them have gained legal status for their property. But to the luxury-minded developers of this new part of town, these informal settlements represent a barrier to their plan. So when the Olympic Park was planned for this area of Rio, it wasn't much of a surprise when the city came in with eminent domain eviction orders, telling these communities that they would be moved to public housing complexes, usually far out of sight of any international visitors. Most communities left, some happily taking the money that the city gave them. Some mounted intense but failed resistance. But I visited one community that didn't give up on the fight to keep their homes. Quando falaram que as Olimpíadas ia ser no Rio de Janeiro, nós já sabíamos que o nosso problema ia aumentar. Vila Atodromo was a community of around 600 families near where the Olympic Park is being built. It's not on the actual park property, but it's in the site of the park. This is what it looks like today. People chose to go there because there was no drug trafficking or militia. It was very safe, very good sense of community, near jobs, near schools. It's hard to know that when you just visit the community. But you kind of get a sense of that by seeing the people who are still resisting, you know, because they're holding on to that memory, and they want to keep some of that alive. After years of fighting with the city hall, only 20 families of the original 600 remain in this community. Fierce protesting and a flurry of international press got the mayor to finally concede, saying that the 20 families could stay on condition that the city would build them nicer-looking homes, lest, heaven forbid, the international community catch a glimpse of the real Rio. Through the long fight, some of Villa Todromo was able to stay. But this is rare. Most communities that receive eviction orders no longer exist. At least 77,200 people have been removed from their homes in Rio de Janeiro since 2009. That's according to government data. And much of this is to make way for infrastructure and real estate projects associated with the World Cup and the Olympic Games. So it's kind of a shame because the Olympics ends up coming in and kind of whitewashing areas and creating and, and reframing them. And, you know, you lose a lot of the personality of the city. Of course, there have been numerous benefits to the people of Rio thanks to the Olympics investments. New bus lines, revitalizations of old parts of the city, museums, parks. This stuff will make life better in the city for sure. But in the end, billions of public dollars that were supposed to benefit the people ended up bowing to the interests of a few people with a lot of money. And instead of investing in the underserved, Rio will once again hide them from view.
brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Uh, don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. <laughs> Teach me another one. Okay. A chick in a car and a car won't go. That's the way to spell Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. That's right. Dad, how about Mississippi? You ready for Mississippi? Okay, let's go. The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven for dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. As the days count down to Rio's Olympic debut next year, many critics have noted that the city still has a high crime rate, high water pollution, and many other challenges to face in its preparation work. So what's going on in Rio? Are they really ready to host the Olympics in 2016? Here's a timeline illustrating some of the city's major issues over the past several years. Rio beats out cities like Tokyo, Madrid, and Chicago to win the Olympic bid for the 2016 Summer Games. Just two weeks later, gang violence in Rio makes international headlines. A police helicopter is shot down just a mile from the future site of the Olympic opening and closing ceremony. The mayor concedes that there's a long way to go towards optimal security for the Olympics. Construction of the 2016 Olympic Park begins. Thousands of people riot throughout Brazil over the money being spent on the Olympics and other sporting events instead of on public health care and education. Over 2,000 Olympic venue construction workers strike for better pay and working conditions, setting the schedule back two weeks. The vice president of the International Olympic Committee says slow preparations in Rio are unprecedented and the worst that I've experienced. He claims construction had not commenced on some venues and water pollution was still a serious concern. Thousands of dead fish washed up in Guanabara Bay, raising questions about the safety of the water. A month later, researchers in Brazil find drug-resistant superbacteria in Guanabara Bay, where Olympians will be sailing and windsurfing. A wave of gang violence leaves five dead and 30 injured. News agencies speculate that the increased policing in the area caused gangs to lash out in a grab for territory. Thousands of dead fish again turn up in Guanabara Bay during a visit from the IOC. Rio officials make assurances that all Olympic venues will be clean and safe by 2016. The IOC cautions that the most intense period of preparations is coming with test events happening before the Olympic Games begin. With about 500 days to go before the beginning of the Olympic Games, Rio is feeling the pressure. But despite recent crime and water pollution issues, officials from Rio and the IOC have remained upbeat about the status of Olympic preparations. When you hear about pollution, it's pretty likely that the first country that comes to mind is China. To learn about how bad the problem really is there, check out our video here. A recent documentary, Under the Dome, depicts how Chinese residents are forced to cope with the worsening air quality. In the film, the director says that last year Beijing had 175 polluted days. This is when the smog is so bad that schools are closed and planes are grounded. So just how bad is pollution in China? Please consider subscribing to TetTube now. You'll be the first to see all of our new videos.
almost that time again when the torch is lit and all of humanity rejoices in the glory of, wait, what's this? Welcome to hell. The Independent reports emergency responders have a message for travelers arriving to the city just ahead of the $10 billion 2016 Rio Olympics. The sign reads, police and firefighters do not get paid. Whoever comes to Rio de Janeiro will not be safe. Another sign outside of the airport reads, welcome. We don't have hospitals. We just impeached our socialist president, and our third world economy is tanking. And as soon as the Olympians from all over the globe started rolling in, the locals quickly moved in on them. The Guardian reports, the leader of Australia's Olympic team has called on Brazilian authorities to deploy extra security ahead of the Rio de Janeiro Games after a Paralympic champion was robbed at gunpoint while training in the host city. This is not the first alarming incident. Last month, three Spanish Olympic sailors were robbed at gunpoint. Also, a patient was killed and a nurse injured by stray bullets during a gunfight at Salzaguiar Hospital, which is recommended for tourists during the Games. Whose idea was this anyway? Well, Rio applied to the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, on September 7, 2007. By 2008, Rio had been put on a short list with Chicago, Madrid, and Tokyo. In 2009, the IOC assessed Rio's venues and gave the city a favorable report. On October 2, 2009, Rio was chosen as the first South American city to ever host the Olympic Games. But the money is already running out, and the Games begin on August 5th. The acting governor of Rio, Francisco Dornelles, says Rio is still waiting on an $860 million payout from the federal government to pay the police overtime that hasn't been paid in six weeks and finish the metro line to transport tourists to all the Olympic venues. The Rio de Janeiro state government declared a state of emergency and warned of a total breakdown in public security, health, education, mobility, and environmental management. According to the Daily Mail, many of the venues remain un finished. And now Olympic athletes are pulling out of Rio over the Zika virus scare and for unknown reasons. The Zika virus. What assurances can you give them that it's not going to be a problem? Well, the, the World Health Organization issued a study stating very clearly that Zika virus is not a threat during the winter months. So the mosquitoes, they die during the winter. It's, it's a proved thing. The only lab capable of handling the Olympic drug testing has been suspended by the World Anti-Doping Agency due to nonconformity. The stench of raw sewage hangs in the air over the location of the venues. Human body parts washed up on the beach where the Olympic beach volleyball games will be held. And if that wasn't bad enough, some idiota attempted to throw a bucket of water on the Olympic torch. But never mind all that. The globalist filth behind this complete disaster want to shine a spotlight on the refugee crisis, i.e. invasion. That's why this year's Olympics will feature a refugee Olympic team. Ten refugees will represent the people fleeing all of the countries the World Bank has destroyed, while over a million Brazilians have already fled their chaotic country to hightail it up to Obama's America. Well, it's shaping up to be as dismal a globalist fail-fest as one could expect in the plastic socioeconomic climate we are all facing. Perhaps we can expect some brand-new events. How about random gun confiscation, hog-tying political dissidents, or maybe 
Mass vaccination time trials. Rio 2016. Welcome to hell. John Bound for Infowars.com. Knowledge of the ancients, tried and true, trusted herbs and extracts fused with the latest nutraceutical science. Introducing the all-new Ancient Defense Herbal Immunity Blend, crafted with over 14 key ancient herbs and extracts to supercharge and prepare your body for what experts admit is the most dangerous season of the year. We have rejected hundreds of other formulations in our quest to bring you what is simply the most powerful and comprehensive proprietary formula. So there you have it. Um, uh, question still is, will they be ready in August? In spite of all going on, but but them, I don't think they're ready. I really don't think they're really ready. They're under a lot of pressure now. I don't think they're ready. If they should have known it's going well, didn't really know that's going to be picked, but they should have been totally more prepared than they than they have been. Because they they know they're going to have a lot of people in Rio de Janeiro um, doing the Olympic Games. And they're not ready. It looks like like they're not going to be ready. I'm sorry. It looks like it. So we're hoping... That um, we're hoping that they'll be that it'll they'll be safe there, and of course they mentioned the Zika virus. That's another problem. There's no threat, but is it a threat? Now. We're going, to, we're going to get into the DMC's, DNC's, um, DNC's wrap-up. I wanted to on an interview with, um, Keisha Knight Pulling. As you know, Keisha Knight Pulling is, she was Rudy, the Cosby Show. This is an exclusive where she breaks down over, over divorce drama. 
Listen to this. Not believe it. Tuesday night polium was America's darling, everybody's favorite little Rudy Huxtable from the Cosby Show. But now she is all grown up, four months pregnant, and going through the biggest nightmare of her life. This is a story that everybody is talking about. About a week ago, she announced that she was pregnant, and we were so happy for Keisha. Now she says she was blindsided by her husband filing for divorce, and reportedly, now he wants her to prove the baby is his. But Keisha says she wants the world to know her side of the yeah. story, and that is why she's only talking to our Michelle Turner. Well, let's just go on the record. Did you cheat on him during your marriage? I have never cheated on him during my marriage. That's not who I am. You said you will have to turn to That's not an issue. Sure. There's no problem. I've never been unfaithful to my husband. This is his daughter. You know, it's one thing when you choose to be in the spotlight. It's another thing when you have a baby. The biggest thing and my priority is she doesn't deserve it. Keisha was emotional and raw when I visited her this afternoon in her Atlanta home. The giant square-cut diamond ring she once wore proudly is gone. And get ready for this. Keisha told me she's not the one who cheated. She claims her husband was. So when early in my marriage I was faced with this, I was ready to leave. I had divorce papers ready. I presented them to him. He begged for another. He said, please, I want my family. He said all of the right things. And once I was pregnant, I did decide to give him that one last chance. So let's catch everyone up on the backstory. Would you like to hold him? No, he might go on. <laughs> After we fell in love with her as Rudy Huxtable, Keisha's led a pretty quiet life, doing charities and her own podcast. Then, after just four months of dating, Keisha and NFL star Ed Hartwell secretly got married six months ago. Last week, she announced she was pregnant with a baby girl. Then, just two days ago, Ed filed for divorce. One report claims he wants a paternity test. Keisha was completely blindsided. He left like it was any other day. Said goodbye, I was still sleeping in bed. And he texted me, you know, saying, Hey, can I talk to you for a moment? Which was, we have to go to that. You know, okay. He was like, you know, this isn't working. All I heard was I filed for divorce this morning, and I'm coming to get my stuff. You said that Ed um, had been unfaithful to Mm -hmm. you. He confessed to it in his words, in his mouth, period. Wow. There's no nursery. Keisha plans to sell the house before her daughter is born. As for Ed's side of the story, well, the former Real Housewives of Atlanta husband has not responded to our calls for comments. Do you still love your husband? I love who he pretended to be. Hmm. I have no desire to continue to be married to him. That's why I'm doing this one interview, and I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to continue to revisit, regurgitate, but I'm also not going to continue to allow people to tell blatant lies about me. I see your heart breaking. I'm grateful. Mm. Despite all of this and everything that happened, I'm grateful for my blessing. And that's my little girl.
remember when we told you that Keisha Knight Pulliam is expecting her first child with her new man, Ed Hartwell, just last week? Well, things have taken a turn for the worse because reportedly Keisha's new boo just filed for divorce after being married for only eight months. Guys, I am not lying. According to the YBF, Ed Hartwell filed official divorce papers in the Fulton County Courthouse in Georgia just yesterday. An insider says the former NFL linebacker cited irreconcilable differences as the reason for their split. Sources close to the couple also said they fought a lot because mostly Ed thought she was spoiled. Last month, rumors swirled of an impending divorce for the couple, but after Keisha's pregnancy announcement, many people, including me, thought they worked everything out for their new family, but clearly not. And to add insult to injury, in addition to the divorce, Ed wants a paternity test on Keisha's unborn child. Guys, I can't even. I need a break from this story. But I'm just going to pray for both parties in this matter, especially Keisha, though, because apparently Ed filed divorce papers without even telling his soon-to-be ex-wife. If that's true, Ed, that's, like, really not cool. At one point, you loved her and respected her enough to marry her. You could have at least, like, shot her a text, something in private. Am I wrong, guys? Like, that's crazy, right? Let me know in the comments below or on Twitter using the hashtag BETBreaks. We want to hear your thoughts on this one because no one saw this coming. For more, stay tuned to BET.com. We'll definitely keep you updated there. I'm Gia Peppers, and I'll see you next time. Ed was wrong. That was that was outright dirty. That was that was that was, that was dirty. The way he did it, and now he's accusing her of cheating. He's accusing her for cheating. I can't. I when I first heard about this, I was okay. But I heard about the. They got married. Then when I heard about the divorce, I'm going, what? You're kidding. You've got to be kidding me. I, and I saw this on, I think it was Yahoo. I believe it was Yahoo when I saw this. Yahoo News or something like that. And... He was dead wrong. He was. Now he wants paternity. Now he wants a, a paternity test to see this is. He know it is his. That is his child. What a waste. What a waste. Come up to the top of the hour. This nation talk. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. 
Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Energy efficiency interviews are brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Uh, Don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But But then, then, right right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself. And her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then, she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk Shoe, Jam Ready Productions, SodaHead.com, and its sponsors. This is Nation Talk. Welcome to the second hour of Nation Talk. We're going to get into to talk about the DNC, do a, a DNC convention wrap up. Of course, you know the convention was in Philadelphia this past week, and we're going to play some highlights from the convention. Gentlemen, eight years ago, I stood on a stage in Denver, and I accepted your nomination to be Vice President of the United States. And every single day since then, it's been the honor of our lives for Jill and me. Every day. We've been grateful to Barack and Michelle for asking them to join us in this and join them in that incredible journey. A journey, a journey that can only happen in America. But we not only have worked together, as it becomes pretty obvious, we become friends. We're now family. We're family. Folks, you've all seen over the last eight years what President Obama means to this country. He's the embodiment. He is the embodiment of honor, resolve, and character. One of the finest presidents we have ever had. That's right. This is a man of character. And he's become a brother to Jill and me. And Michelle, I don't know where you are, kid, but you're incredible. You are incredible. And I was talking to Barack today. It's no longer who's going to give the best speech. We already know who did that. You were incredible Monday night. (laughs) 
and the Delaware delegation, as they say in Southern Delaware. Barack and I married way up, <laughs> way up. Folks, as I stand here tonight, <clears throat> I see so many friends and colleagues like my buddy Chris Dodd and the Connecticut delegation, so, so many people here. I see the faces of those who, uh, who have placed their belief in Barack and me. So many faces, but one. This is kind of a bittersweet moment for Jill and me and our family. In 2008, when he was about to deploy to Iraq, and again in 2012, our son Bo introduced me to the country and placed my name in nomination. You got a glimpse. I know I sound like a dad, but you got a glimpse what an incredibly fine young man Bo was. Thank you. Thank you. His wife, Hallie, and his two kids are here tonight. But as Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world breaks everyone, and afterwards, many are strong at the broken places. I've been made strong at the broken places by my love, Jill, by my heart, my son, Hunter, and the love of my life, my Ashley, and by all of you, and I mean this sincerely, those of you who've been through this, you know I mean what I say by all of you. Your love, your prayers, your support. But you know what we talk about? We think about the countless thousands of other people who suffered so much more than we have with so much less support, so much less reason to go on. But they get up every morning every day. They put one foot in front of the other. They keep going. That's the unbreakable spirit of the people of America. That's who we are. That's who we are. Don't forget it. Like the people in the neighborhood that Jill and I grew up in, she in Willow Grove and my down in Wilmington and Claymont. The kid in Claymont, with the most courage, who always jumped in when you were double teamed or your back was against the wall, who became a cop because he always wanted to help people. The middle daughter of three daughters, who always made her mother smile, who was a hero to her sisters, now a major in the United States Marine Corps because, Mr. President, I wanted to serve my country. The teachers, the teachers who Jill knows and so many of you know, who take money out of their own pocket to buy pencils and notebooks for the students who can't afford them. Why? Why? Because being a teacher is not what they do, it's who they are.
what I know. For real. These are the people who are the heart and soul of this country. It's the America that I know. The America that Hillary knows and Tim Kaine knows. You know, I've known Hillary for well over 30 years. Before she was First Lady of the United States, when she became First Lady, we served together in the United States Senate. And during her years as Secretary of State, once a week, we had breakfast in my home, the Vice President's residence. Everybody knows she's smart. Everybody knows she's tough. But I know what she's passionate about. I know Hillary. Hillary understands. Hillary gets it. Hillary understands that, that college loan is about a lot more than getting a qualified student education. It's about saving the mom and the dad from the indignity of having to look at their talented child and say, Sonny, honey, I'm so sorry. The bank wouldn't lend me the money. I can't help you to get to school. I know that about Hillary. Hillary understood that for years, millions of people went to bed staring at the ceiling, thinking, oh, my God, what if I get breast cancer or he has a heart attack? I will lose everything. What will we do then? I know about Hillary Clinton. All right, that's Joe Biden. That's that's Joe Biden in his speech. Now, this is the speech that rocked the, the convention. That speech for the First Lady Michelle Obama. Give a listen. <laughs> that our time in the White House would form the foundation for who they would become. 
and how well we manage this experience could truly make or break them. That is what Barack and I think about every day. We try to guide and protect our girls through the challenges of this unusual life in the spotlight. How we urge them to ignore those who question their father's citizenship or faith. How we insist that the hateful language they hear from public figures on TV does not represent the true spirit of this country. How we explain that when someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, our motto is, when they go low, we go high. With every word we utter. I love Dan. I promised to stick with him through thick and thin. He was in Afghanistan, and I know he's been through a lot, things I can't even imagine. I'll try to comfort him, but he pushes me away, and I just don't know how to reach him. You may not know with what every to say, but we can we help start the conversation. I love Dan. I promised to stick with him through thick and thin. He was in Afghanistan, and Watching us. I know he's we been We as parents a lot. are their Things most important role models. I can't even imagine. And let me tell you, I'll try Barack to comfort him, but he pushes me away, and I just don't know how to reach him. You may not know what to say, but we can help start the conversation. 
Visit supportyourvet.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Ad Council. You're walking alone on the street. A group of people is hanging that out just That our words and actions matter, not As just to our girls, but the children across this country. Kids, kids who tell us, I saw you on TV, I wrote a report on you for school. <laughs> kids like the little black boy who looked up at my husband, his eyes wide with hope, and he wondered, is my hair like yours? And make no mistake about it, this November when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding. Not Democrat or Republican, not left or right. No, in this election and every election is about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. And I, I am here tonight because in this election, there is only one person who I trust with that responsibility, only one person who I believe is truly qualified to be President of the United States, and that is our friend Hillary Clinton. because I've seen her lifelong devotion to our nation's children. Not just her own daughter, who she has raised to perfection, but, but every child who needs a champion, kids who take the long way to school to avoid the gangs, kids who wonder how they'll ever afford college, kids whose parents don't speak a word of English but dream of a better life, kids who look to us to determine who and what they can be. You see, Hillary has spent decades doing the relentless, thankless work to actually make a difference in their lives. Advocating for kids with disabilities as a young lawyer, fighting for children's health care as first lady, and for quality child care in the Senate. And when she didn't win the nomination eight years ago, she didn't get angry or disillusioned. She, Hillary did not, Hillary did not pack up and go home. Because as a true public servant, Hillary knows that this is so much bigger than her own desires and disappointments. stepped up to serve our country once again as Secretary of State, traveling the globe to keep our kids safe. And look, there were plenty of moments when Hillary could have decided that this work was too hard, that the price of public service was too high, that she was tired of being picked apart for how she looks or how she talks or even how she laughs. But here's the thing. What I admire most about Hillary is that she never buckles under pressure. She, she never takes the easy way out. 
And Hillary Clinton has never quit on anything in her life. And when I think about the kind of president that I want for my girls and all our children, that's what I want. I want someone with the proven strength to persevere, someone who knows this job and takes it seriously, someone who understands that the issues the president faces are not black and white and cannot be boiled down to 140 characters. Look, because... Because when, when you have the nuclear codes at your fingertips and the military in your command, you can't make snap decisions. You, you can't have a thin skin or a tendency to lash out. You need to be steady and measured and well-informed. I want a president with a record of public service, someone whose life's work shows our children that we don't chase fame and fortune for ourselves. We fight to give everyone a chance to succeed. And, and we give back even when we're struggling ourselves because we know that there is always some worse, one worse off. And there, but for the grace of God, go I. I want a president who will teach our children that everyone in this country matters. A president who truly believes in the vision that our founders put forth all those years ago, that we are all created equal, each a beloved part of the great American story. And when crisis hits, we don't turn against each other. No, we, we listen to each other. We lean on each other because we are always stronger together. And I am here tonight because I know that that is the kind of president that Hillary Clinton will be. And that's why in this election, I'm with her. It's about leaving something better for our kids. That's how we've always moved this country forward, by all of us coming together on behalf of our children. Folks who volunteer to coach that team, to teach that Sunday school class, because they know it takes a village. Heroes of every color and creed who wear the uniform and risk their lives to keep passing down those blessings of liberty police officers and the protesters in Dallas who all desperately want to keep our children safe. People who lined up in Orlando to donate blood because it could have been their son, their daughter in that club. Leaders like Tim Kaine. Who show, who show our kids 
what decency and devotion look like. Leaders like Hillary Clinton, who has the guts and the grace to keep coming back and putting those cracks in that highest and hardest glass ceiling until she finally breaks through, lifting all of us along with her. That is the story of this country, the story that has brought me to the stage tonight, the story of generations of people who felt the lash of bondage, the shame of servitude, the sting of segregation, but who kept on striving and hoping and doing what needed to be done so that today I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. My daughters, two beautiful, intelligent black young women playing with their dogs on the White House lawn. And, be and because of Hillary Clinton, my daughters and all our sons and daughters now take for granted that a woman can be President of the United States. So look, so don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great, that somehow we need to make it great again. Because this right now is the greatest country on earth. And as my, my daughters prepare to set out into the world, I want a leader who is worthy of that truth, a leader who is worthy of my girls' promise and all our kids' promise, a leader who will be guided every day by the love and hope and impossibly big dreams that we all have for our children. So in this election, we cannot sit back and hope that everything works out for the best. We cannot afford to be tired or frustrated or cynical. No, hear me, between now and November, we need to do what we did eight years ago and four years ago.
more of Nature Talk right after this. And get, uh, bring some more highlights of the DNC. In 2008, Faith High School played football against Gainesville State School, a juvenile detention center team with no fans, until that night. Faith High put 200 fans in Gainesville's bleachers, made a banner for players to crash through, and even supplied cheerleaders. For the first time, Gainesville players heard a crowd cheer for them by name. Faith High won, but Gainesville had its best game of the season and doused its coach in Gatorade. After the game, both teams gathered midfield to pray. A Gainesville player asked to leave. He said, Lord, I don't know how this happened. I never would have known so many people in the world cared about us. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge. Here's to encouraging everyone in the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. This is the story of a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you and Professor Dickie Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find which classes he really needed. You missed the lesson on telling dragons from dragonflies. Right. Um, I want to go to college, so I'm taking Algebra 2, Biology, and a Foreign Language. Foreign Language? You mean so you can talk to unicorns? Well, not exactly. Unless they're French. But Larry had no time for unicorns, or even for Miss Petunia Tutti's time-traveling tutorial, which met every other yesterday at 25 o'clock. Sorry I'm late. My softball game went into overtime. And he knew knowhowtogo.org was way better than hoping for a snockball scholarship. So, while his friends all aced invisibility, when Larry finally got to college, they were nowhere to be seen. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of Talk to you, Generating Productions, Soleyhead.com, and the sponsors. This is Nation Talk. We're going to play a, a portion of President Obama's speech so at, to the Thank DNC so 2016. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Do 
through diplomacy, we shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program. We opened up a new chapter with the people of Cuba, brought nearly 200 nations together around a climate agreement that could save this planet for our children. We put policies in place to help students with loans, protect consumers from fraud, cut veterans' homelessness almost in half. And through countless acts of quiet courage, America learned that love has no limits, and marriage equality is now a reality across the land. By so many measures, our country is stronger and more prosperous than it was when we started. And through every victory and every setback, I've insisted that change is never easy and never quick, that we wouldn't meet all of our challenges in one term or one presidency or even in one lifetime. So tonight I'm here to tell you that, yes, we've still got more work to do, more work to do for every American still in need of a good job or a raise, paid leave or a decent retirement, for every child who needs a sturdier ladder out of poverty or world-class education, for everyone who has not yet felt the progress of these past seven and a half years. We need to keep making our streets safer and our criminal justice system fair our homeland more secure, our world more peaceful and sustainable for the next generation. We're not done perfecting our union or living up to our founding creed, that all of us are created equal. All of us are free in the eyes of God. No matter how much people try to knock her down, she never, ever quits. That is the Hillary I know. That's the Hillary I've come to admire. And that's why I can say with confidence, there has never been a man or a woman, not me, not Bill, nobody, more qualified than Hillary Clinton to serve as President of the United States of America. Okay, now that was President Obama's uh, speech. Now, this is President Clinton's speech uh, to the DNC at the DNC convention. And she had a childhood that made mine look like a piece of cake. She was easy to underestimate with her soft manner, and she reminded me all over again of the truth of that old saying, you should never judge a book by its cover. Knowing her was one of the greatest gifts Hillary ever gave me. I, I learned that Hillary 
got her introduction to social justice through her Methodist youth minister, Don Jones. He took her downtown to Chicago to hear Dr. Martin Luther King speak, and he remained her friend for the rest of his life. This will be the only campaign of hers he ever missed. When she got to college, her support for civil rights, her opposition to the Vietnam War, compelled her to change parties and become a Democrat. And then, between college and law school, on a total lark, she went alone to Alaska and spent some time slamming fish. More to the point, by the time I met her, she had already been involved in the law school's legal services project, and she'd been influenced by Marion Wright Edelman. She took a summer internship interviewing workers in migrant camps for Senator Walter Mondale's subcommittee. She'd also begun working in the Yale New Haven Hospital to develop procedures to handle suspected child abuse cases. She got so involved in children's issues that she actually took an extra year in law school, working at the Child Study Center to learn what more could be done to improve the lives and the futures of poor children. So, she was already determined to figure out how to make things better. Hillary opened my eyes to a whole new world of public service by private citizens. In the summer of 1972, she went to Dothan, Alabama to visit one of those segregated academies that then enrolled over a half a million white kids in the South. Only where the economics worked is that they claimed federal tax exemptions to which they were not legally entitled. She got sent to prove they weren't. So she sauntered into one of these academies all by herself, pretending to be a housewife that had just moved to town and needed to find a school for her son. And they exchanged pleasantries, and finally she said, look, let's just get to the bottom line here. If I enroll my son in this school, will he be in a segregated school, yes or no? And the guy said, absolutely, she had him. I've seen it a thousand times since. And she went back, and her encounter was part of a report that gave Marion Wright Edelman the ammunition she needed to keep working to force the Nixon administration to take those tax exemptions away. Neatly designed and beautiful house it was. So I took a big chance. I bought the house. My mortgage was $175 a month. When she came back, I picked her up and I said, you remember that house you liked? She said, yeah. I said, while you were gone, I bought it. You have to marry me now. Oh, the third time was the charm. We, we, we were married. We were married in that little house on October the 11th, 1975. I married my best friend. I was still in awe after more than four years of being around her at how smart and strong and loving and caring she was. And I really hoped that her choosing me 
and rejecting my advice to pursue her own career was a decision she would never regret. A little over a year later, we moved to Little Rock when I became Attorney General, and she joined the oldest law firm west of the Mississippi. Soon after, she started a group called the Arkansas Advocates for Families and Children. It's a group, as a group, as you can hear, is still active today. In 1979, That was her husband, President Bill Clinton, speaking about his wife. Uh, before the, before I get to Hillary Clinton's, well, let's go ahead. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and get go to Hillary Clinton's speech. Um, we'll play a portion of it. together. Now let's go out and make it happen together. My friends, we've come to Philadelphia, the birthplace of our nation, because what happened in this city 240 years ago still has something to teach us today. We all know the story, but we usually focus on how it turned out, and not enough on how close that story came to never being written at all. When representatives from 13 unruly colonies met just down the road from here, some wanted to stick with the king, and some wanted to stick it to the king. <laughs> the revolution hung in the balance. Then somehow they began listening to each other, compromising, finding common purpose. And by the time they left Philadelphia, they had begun to see themselves as one nation. That's what made it possible to stand up to a king. That took courage. They had courage. Our founders embraced the enduring truth that we are stronger together. <laughs> Where all our children can dream and those dreams are within reach. Where families are strong, communities are safe, and yes, where love trumps hate. <laughs> that, that's the country we're fighting for. That's the future we're working toward. And so, my friends, it is with humility, determination, and boundless confidence in America's promise that I accept your nomination.
so you have it. That's Oh, there you have it. Her scepter speech. Well, this has been one exciting week um, in Philadelphia. Uh, judging from what, watching the, just the highlights of it, I didn't get a chance to hear the speeches, but just by hearing the highlights of it, it's going to be one, it's going to be one heck of an election. This November is going to be interesting. Now, here's the kicker. Go out and vote. Vote your conscience. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but vote. Go out and vote your conscience. Vote for the best person that you feel will be president. I know who I'm going to select already. I already made, up, I already made my determination who, who, who's going to be. Um... I made my determination who's going to be, so there you have it. But I think I mentioned my my choice before, so there you have it. We're gonna come back and wrap this whole thing up, and. Uh, Your Sunday evening forum, Nation Talk. Good evening to all of you. And thanks for listening. early that violence against women is wrong. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. That's teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. It is with sound mind and body that I, James Fredericks III, after fighting with all direct family members for decades, leave my entire fortune of $32 million to the one friend I had in the end. The package delivery guy, Matt Sunger. Woohoo! Yeah! I had a feeling about this. Uh huh. I'm rich! Oh, this cannot be happening. Actually, it's not happening. What? What? And it never will. I don't get it. There aren't even people here. That's just one of those murmuring sound effects. Seriously? Listen, if you want to have money in your future, don't rely on luck. Huh. Put 10 bucks away each month. Cook once in a while instead of eating out. Okay. Pay down your high-interest credit card. Right. Small changes today, big bucks tomorrow. So no inheritance? Uh, no. Go to FeedThePig.org for more free ideas. FeedThePig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. And just to be clear, no inheritance, right? Is this radio spot where Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. 
But, but then, then right, right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Yeah, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself. And her daughter. She'd feel stuck. 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 But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education, brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. Individual candidate. Regardless of how you feel about those individual races and how uh, those caucuses and those primaries turned out so far this year, uh, you may have noticed in the reporting on the presidential race more broadly. It's not just this year. It happens every year. But you might have noticed when people in the media and people commenting on the race and political figures are talking about primaries and caucuses, you may have noticed that the caucuses don't get as much respect. And well, welcome back. Uh, so we may not have time to listen to Rachel Meadows, um, but I want to go back to 1968 during the um, during the DMC DNC convention in Democratic Party, the Majority Party. It was so simple, or seemed that way. There were more Democrats than Republicans, therefore, there were more Democratic presidents than Republican presidents. It was so for years, until 1968, and only one since then. It is possible the Democratic Party has never recovered from what happened in 1968. It is possible. To understand the party now, you have to see it then. The Democrats were in power, but the country was in trouble over the war in Vietnam, and so the party was in trouble. Correspondent John Hart reports from Chicago, where in 1968, the Democrats held a convention. In the week before the convention, 300 Americans were killed in Vietnam, a typical week that year. In the four months before, Robert Kennedy was murdered. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered. 125 cities had riots, including this one, where the mayor scolded his police for going too easy. Many young people were saying the system didn't work, and when 10,000 of them came here to demonstrate that, and some of them put a Vietnamese communist flag on the statue of a Civil War hero, the mayor's police did not go easy. A federal investigation later concluded there had been provocations from the demonstrators, rocks, bottles, and other things thrown at police, but that the response was, in the words of the report, unrestrained and indiscriminate police violence. It was as if the normal restraints on human behavior having been lifted in Vietnam were slipping dangerously in this country as well. The violence of the war which divided the country was echoed by violence in the streets which divided the country further. 
Anti-war delegates were harassed on the floor. What are you trying to strong out stuff? He's an elected delegate. This is John Chancellor on the floor. I'm looking down at Edwin Newman in the middle of a huge bunch of security people. How did it get started? Do you know? They keep coming around all day checking our credentials. And it's time they stop. There is nothing in the rules of the Democratic Party that says they have a right to check us every 10 minutes. They have harassed us an entire day. The Chicago police are now in the aisles here with billy clubs, clearing people out. They're not using them on people. They're carrying them. And they're dragging everybody right out of the aisle here. It's a terrific crush. About one, two, three, four, five, six, six policemen came in here, some of them wearing the blue helmets of the Chicago Police Force, and they are dragging out of here the people who were involved in this. One delegate from New York who objected to having his credentials checked. This surely is the first time that policemen have ever entered uh, a convention, the floor of a convention. In the United States. Colorado, Mr. Chairman, Colorado rises to a point of information. Is there any rule under which Mayor Daley can be compelled to suspend the police state terror perpetrated this minute on kids in front of the Conrad Hilton? By the night of the presidential nominations, the National Guard backed up the police to keep streets clear of demonstrators. The guards used tear gas, but the police used nightsticks. President of the United States, we wouldn't have to have Gestapo's tactics in the streets of Chicago. What are we coming to as a society? What are we coming to as a country? If policemen are treated the way they have been treated, not only in Chicago, but all over the country. On the grounds that the confrontation has to be made because we got to get the action. we got to get the violence. It would have been impossible to hold the Democratic National Convention in any city in the United States or throughout the world without demonstrations or disruption. Daly's right on this point. Chicago just happened to be the city. It would have been impossible to hold it anywhere because the Democratic Party has blood on its hands. By the time Vice President Humphrey won the nomination, it was a broken prize which his co-chairman Walter Mondale could only try to restore. The vice president was a candidate along with the rest. Uh, we were dealt with the same as they were, and uh, we won, I think, in a convention which is as fair as any's ever been. The establishment kept its power and lost the election. The outsiders were left with symbolic gestures, nominating a young black from Georgia for vice president, Julian Bond, who had become a symbol of the rebellion. Fellow delegates, the people of America are watching us now, as indeed the whole world is watching us. Nineteen sixty-eight was a struggle between the ins and the outs, and the outs left Chicago determined to take power. They did, and some of those who were bloodied in the streets then are delegates in San Francisco now. The Outsiders of 68 nominated George McGovern four years later, and he lost. They changed the party rules and elected Carter, and he disappointed. And now the two wings are being asked to join together behind Mondale and Ferraro and seek, at last, recovery from what happened here a generation ago.
that was 1968 during the Democratic Convention in Chicago at that time. It was a wild, I'll tell you, it was wild. It was wild. Um, I have a few, I, I got a few minutes here. No, we, we better, we, we better, we better uh, go ahead and close this out. But uh, I wanted to get, if I could squeeze in Dan Rather's discussion of the 68 Democrat National Convention, we'll probably do that another time. But tonight has been a very interesting night, and um, I'm glad that you were, were here to... Um, to to listen to listen to uh, this program Sunday to Sunday. And thank you for tuning in and downloading us, uh, downloading our programs. Uh, go to nationtalkradio.wordpress.com and can. You can get a lot of our uh, blogs, and if you miss the programs, you go. You can always go on TalkShoe and listen up to re-listen to some of the programs. Or go to NationTalkRadio.wordpress.com. And you, if you miss it, if you miss a program, you could um, go back and go back and listen to it. Tomorrow is the first of the month, and Jam Radio uh, morning morning inspiration for Jam Radio 2.1 will return at eight o'clock for morning inspiration for Jam Radio 2.1. That's eight a.m. tomorrow morning. Hope to see you then. Views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, generated productions.com, and its sponsors. This, excuse me, this has been Nation Talk, public affairs program, public affairs program that airs Sunday night at 8 p.m. You should join us next Sunday for another Nation Talk here on TalkShoe and Jam Radio. And... Also, be sure to join us on to join us tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. for morning's preaching of January 2.1. We're, we're, we're going to be back. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week.
You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. 